Business Minds, presented by the Florida Business Journals, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. In this episode, Jacksonville Business Journal Editor-in-Chief Tim Gibbons welcomes Jim White, Managing Partner at BDO, to share what he's hearing from clients across Florida, plus an update on the transition back to an office work environment. Well, thanks again for joining me today. This should be fun. It's been a while since we've chatted. So wanted to kind of start off by talking about what you're seeing in the overall economy. Uh, obviously, you talk to clients across Florida who are you know, giving you a good view kind of from the front line. So as you talk to clients, what are their fears? What are their hopes for the rest of this year and then going into 23? Right. I think it's kind of a, an interesting time in the economy because, you know, on one hand, the economy's in great shape. Unemployment's really low. Uh, employers are all struggling to find employees, having to give them big raises to get them. I think Jacksonville alone, you know, our unemployment's down at what, 2.3% or something. And so that part's really good. Most of our clients are still growing. Most of our clients are going to have great years, but they're getting a little bit nervous, um, especially watching kind of the national and the macro economy type things as far as costs are going up, inflation's up, uh, interest rates, I think, scare a lot of people more than anything, that we've had such cheap money for at least 10 years. And so the cost, whether it's to buy a truck or buy a car for your business or finance a new building is going up. I mean, it had gotten really, really low. What I'm hearing from clients is they're still struggling with supply. Supply is still a problem. And you know, but but they're able to sell things at increased prices or at full prices. So auto dealerships are you know selling cars for sticker plus, uh, whereas historically it's been you know some markdown off sticker. So they're making more money off each item they're selling, but there's not much on the lot. So I think you know what people are most afraid of, like I said, was interest rates, and most of our clients. If you ask them how the economy is doing, a lot of them will say it's terrible, but yet their company's making a lot of money. And so it, it's kind of a 50-50, you know, where are things going? But they're most concerned that we're headed for a recession probably in the next year that, you know, if supply continues to be tight, interest rates go up, which makes things cost more money, maybe less capital investment and continued uh, increased wages. Most clients are most worried about a recession coming next year, which most of Mine haven't indicated that they're cutting back on investments, but they're not over-investing. So they're being cautious about that. I do have some clients that, you know, would actually say, you know, we need a little bit of this to cool off just for uh, for wage and price relief on kind of the labor market, that, that that seems to be the hardest thing for everybody. We've been talking about that for a year. And uh, some people think uh, that that may uh, be good for business in, in the next year or so. I, I mean, I'm never one that wants to wish a recession, but I do have some clients that think a little bit of a slowdown will help them out long term. You talk about that kind of dire view, but it's not like businesses are cutting back. They're just going... Eh, you know, it's a bad time and then kind of continuing on, which is a, a weird dynamic. It's not exactly the, you know, real estate bust sort of recession feeling. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you know, Tim, it, it's one of those things that in my 30 plus years of accounting, 
I don't think I remember an economy kind of like this where the clients are saying, oh, this is a terrible economy. But then when I see their financial statements and we're doing their tax planning, they're having to make big estimated tax payments. So it's a like a weird balance there that uh, trying to figure out, you know, if, if I knew for sure, if I was an economist, um, you know, I'd find something to invest in. And, and uh, next year you could interview me on the beach. But it's, you know, it is an interesting time. Inflation isn't good long term, obviously, and they're going to try to tamper that down. And we'll just have to see, you know, in that process, can they do it in such a way which doesn't uh, put us too much into a recession? Now, you specifically, I know, pay attention to the healthcare industry, your BDO's national healthcare tax practice leader. Obviously, the healthcare industry went through some radical changes over the past two years. How has the industry come out of that from your standpoint, you know, as somebody who's looking at those bottom line numbers, is the industry in a good position and how is it prepared for the future? Yeah, so the healthcare industry sometimes is its own economy as far as it doesn't always beat to the same drum as the rest of the economy because you know so much of the healthcare industry isn't paid for by the consumer and so to the extent that the federal government uh, and state governments fund a large portion of it whether through medicare or their employees the use of healthcare continues to increase. So what we're seeing is, you know, still huge investments in healthcare. You can see it driving down the interstate with new hospitals popping up. Uh, so huge capital improvements, you know, right downtown Jacksonville. I mean, you know, Baptist Health is investing. You drive down the interstate a little bit further. St. Vincent's Ascension has a new hospital going up. Keep going further. You know, there, there's another one, right? And so you see still seeing huge investments in capital. We are seeing shifts, um, you know, as far as continued expansion in the private equity market in healthcare at the kind of provider physician level. So we're seeing where a lot of physician practices, you know, over 20 years ago would merge to form big doctor owned groups. The uh, push now to be private equity owned uh, has continued to grow with increased investments in healthcare uh, from investors feeling that healthcare can sometimes be immune to it. So we're seeing, you know, large physicians, practices, surgery centers, ancillary type uh, healthcare systems being bought or invested in by uh, private equity. But that industry seems to be pretty healthy. Uh, they have the same wage pressure that, uh, that everyone else does and the same labor pressure that everyone else does. And uh, they seem to be able to, you know, I hear a lot of times healthcare leaders, you know, complain about all their struggles. And then when we, you know, kind of look at how much money they keep pouring into things, I'm like, there's got to be cash there somewhere. And uh, I think the healthcare industry is looking good, you know, continues to evolve into some bigger players and uh, not as, um, you know, much owned by the solo physician. But every time I say that, you know, there's an entrepreneur out there that comes up with a new way to do things. One of the things by being a national practice leader uh, is, we come across a lot of new telehealth startups. And these aren't existing businesses that are doing telehealth. These are from scratch where they said, you know what, we see a need and we're trying to, to disrupt whether it's uh, reproductive health or whether it's different type of steroid treatment or, or uh, just regular traditional healthcare, just a lot of uh, telehealth growth. That is fascinating. There's there's a couple companies here in Jacksonville, 
you, you know, that are very active in that space. And it's funny how they they come out of the medical field, but they're from scratch companies. It's not somebody just spinning something off. It's somebody going, no, I've been in the medical field and there's a better way of doing this. And there's funding there for somebody who has a, you know, a better mousetrap to actually go and create this totally basically new sector of the economy in Florida, how people are getting their healthcare. And you know what a lot of times they'll tell me is, is they'll say, hey, you know, we've watched what Uber's done you know, to the taxi industry or what Amazon's done to, you know, retail industry. And when they come to us, they're like, we want to do this in this segment of the healthcare industry. And, and so it, it's really changing, but it really works well with, you know, there's been a big push, you know, going back at least 10 years to value-based payments and paying for healthcare based on quality and value instead of just, you know, how many visits, how many surgeries, how many treatments you do, which has been the historical way that uh, healthcare was paid. And a lot of this telehealth is getting to that reduction in cost. And so instead of having to have a big box where you, you know, or a big office, if you can plug in just like you and I are on, on a Zoom at times and just talk to your doctor and, and never have to travel, that's a decreased cost overall to the system and it's going to save money down the road. So the people that can adapt and come up with creative ways to take advantage of that technology are going to be winners. Remember the, the first time I used telehealth, I had a sinus infection or something a couple of years ago, and it felt like the first time I used Amazon Prime. It was like, huh, this just made my life easier. And, you know, kind of seeing from a personal experience of, yeah, of course, this is going to take off because it, it it's a quality of life thing. Well, it's funny you say that. The first time I used it was for a sinus infection myself. And then I called my doctor's office and they said, well, we can get you in like in, you know, tomorrow or, or something like that. And so, you know, then I went and looked at one of the little local uh, walk-in things that it was going to be this afternoon. I said, you know, I've, I've, I think I've got this telehealth thing through my healthcare plan. And, and I, you know, quickly looked it up and did it. And within 30 minutes, I figured out how to use it, dialed in, had a prescription, uh, got in the car, drove to, uh, you know, local pharmacy and, and had a prescription, you know, within an hour. And, uh, you know, even to get into one of the quick clinics would have taken longer than that. So it was great, just like you said. Now, I know that you you pay attention to the growth of, of the medical, the healthcare industry on the first coast in general. Obviously, we have Mayo, we have all the proton therapy centers. Do you see the level of growth or the level of innovation, might be a better way of phrasing that, continuing You know, as we look ahead, even if the economy cools a little bit, is healthcare still an area that's going to have that same level of innovation? I think so. Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly where some of that innovation is going to come from, but but I really am bullish. And I think Jacksonville, with some of our growth in fintech and some of our other growth, you know, just uh, bringing those type minds to town makes us ripe for some of that innovation locally. We've got entrepreneurial physicians that um, think that way. And if you pair those people with the right technology people and the right private equity or investment funds, I think you've got some great opportunities to create some disruptive type businesses that could, could be really successful. Jim White joining us. In our next segment, he talks about BDO's big acquisition as Florida Business Minds continues. 
People's Gas. Through its innovation and infrastructure investment, People's Gas has maintained safe and reliable delivery of natural gas to homes and businesses since 1895. More about People's Gas at the heart of Florida's energy at floridasenergy.com. We're talking about growth. Obviously, this goes back basically beginning of last year, but BDO went through a large growth step with the acquisition of MBAF, which was the largest privately held accounting firm in Florida. How has that acquisition, I don't know, been digested from a local standpoint? Uh, and how's it gone? Yeah, so locally in Jacksonville, it doesn't affect us quite as much. But uh, you know what it has done is we're now the largest accounting and advisory firm in the state of Florida with about 700 professionals. And so, you know, our South Florida offices are just, you know, really market leaders in that market, which if you haven't been to Miami lately, that market's just on fire. And uh, so we've made major investments in Florida, really starting back about 10 years ago. As you know, our Jacksonville office was an expansion office six years ago. We've got just under 100 people for partners currently in Jacksonville and, and looking to grow those numbers. We have offices in, in really seven Florida cities, all the major markets, plus a couple small ones. And we're really just like the overall Florida economy is one of the hottest ones in the country. BDO wants to be there and, and be part of that growth. BDO is um, really bullish on the state of Florida. So, so we expect to see more growth, you know, just like in Jacksonville with us, as you know, and, and uh, the Business Journal covered is our move over to River Place Tower. So move for listeners who are not from Jacksonville, it's a, uh, a, a key tower on the uh, South Bank and went there. My actual question was, as part of that move, you went with, I, I think it was called BDO Flex, basically a, a new system for how you were having the workforce there. What lessons have you learned as you've gone through that about the entire hybrid work, people back in the office sort of thing? What Any lessons that listeners could get that would help their business? Yeah, you know, I think we're kind of just like a lot of industries out there. We're still trying to figure it out. But, you know, one of the things with, with BDO Flex, which is kind of a core foundation to our people and culture part of everything is, you know, we're, we're letting employees kind of decide when and how and where they want to work. And our new office, for instance, is about 25% smaller than our old office across the river. So we have less desks, less offices, but we have three times as many conference rooms, collaboration rooms. And what we're finding is, you know, I always hear millennials never want to come in and work. The millennials are the ones that like to come in and work, but they don't necessarily work the way maybe you and I did, where we want to just sit in an office and if things get loud, we close the door. They want to be, you know, out there together. And then, then we have collaboration rooms where they can put up to, you know, four to six people in a room with dual monitor setups. And sometimes they're working on the same project together. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they just want to sit in there and chit chat. And we also find that, you know, sometimes their hours aren't like eight to five. So, you know, the, the millennials will, you know, come in and, and I had one of them say, oh, Jim, you know, I missed you. I was in the office till two. And then I went and worked at a coffee shop for two hours. And um, so it's been great. The new office is designed with that in mind. And I think even older guys like us have really learned to 
enjoy kind of this flex space. And, you know, the views are great in that building. As you know, you can see the river from all four sides, which sounds confusing to anyone that's not from Jacksonville, that <laughs> they don't know the river kind of curves around right there on the South Bank. But um, I would say that the fact that the millennials are the ones that are coming in into the office, um, like I said, not five days a week, not eight to five, uh, but they're coming in anytime you can serve lunch. They're coming in anytime you can uh, have uh, coffee or whatever for them. Uh, uh, they're coming in as well. But the, I think the challenge is still figuring out what days most people want to come in because, you know, what we find is if they can do the same thing sitting at their desk at home as they can in the office, why do they want to spend time commuting to do the same thing? But if they can come in and sit with their buddies or sit with, you know, their, you know, someone they're working on a project with or, or, and have a little bit of fun while they're in the office, they're going to come in. And, and so I think the challenge is they're, they're trying to figure out what days are, is everybody going to come in? And so I, I can tell you, they're not in the office on Fridays. Uh, that, that's an empty day in the office. There's a few of us, I'll come in once in a while and, and uh, have to search for someone to go to lunch with, but you know, it, it's fun. Thursdays happen to be our most popular days. Don't ask me why, but Thursdays are the, seem to be the day that we have the most people. It's interesting the company's having to learn that idea of obviously you can tell employees what to do, but for particularly in today's hiring environment, give them a reason to come in that you know employees will will react much better if they understand why they're there versus a eh, somebody's mandating it, but it doesn't make any sense. That's right. We do have official office hours that, you know, the phones are manned and, and uh, you know, someone is in the office at the reception desk, but letting them, you know, there's times you have to say, okay, we've got to meet and to work on something, but let them figure out, you know, with whoever else they're working on a project with, you know, what's the best way to get that done? And we do believe at BDO from a recruiting standpoint that it's a, uh, it's a great way to be flexible. I've got two employees that reported to us in Jacksonville that live in Tampa. I've got one in, in Michigan. I've got, you know, so we have a Tampa office, but I've got two people in Tampa that report to the Jacksonville office. Now they'll go do our um, community events with the Tampa office. Uh, although I think uh, one of them actually drove up and did community events with us here in Jacksonville too. But it's just neat to kind of see, you can attract different people than we used to attract. Our goals to to continue to improve the and grow our talent from a technology standpoint. If you get the best talent, you're going to get the best clients, and and they're going to you know, keep those clients happy and and help them and in, in their businesses. So so that's kind of our way to to get top technical. You know, we focus on diversity and inclusion, and I've learned some things, you know, from diversity inclusion from, you know, by bringing in different people, they have different perspectives. They grew up differently than maybe you and I did and, uh, and have different backgrounds. So they look at things differently. And, and uh, so, so we've really embraced that and, and it's been wonderful. I assume your, your Michigan coworkers are not coming in for community events though, that, uh, no, she's not. Yeah, she's not driving down. The, the Tampa person drives up about once a month, at least one of them does, and joins us for some things. But Michigan would be a little bit further. I think we are going to offer to fly her down uh, to one of our, our uh, all-hands-on meeting next month. But uh. So we were talking about your new office, and obviously you've been part of downtown Jacksonville for a while. But I know downtown is something that you and I have talked before about its growth and, and where it's going. 
as a corporate citizen of the downtown area, what's your view on on where it's going? There seems to be a sense of momentum that's building. Are you seeing that? Are your employees seeing that? I think so. You know, when you look out from our building across the river to downtown, you definitely see a lot of open space. I mean, you can look down towards the stadium and uh, there's the shipyards, but it's exciting. I really am bullish. And I think I've said that now three times on this call, but uh, I'm really excited about the four seasons that Shad Khan is uh, looking to, to put down there. It looks like that uh, may come to fruition. And then the museum district right across uh, where they're going to move uh, the USS Orlick and move the uh, Museum of Science and History over there. But I think, and I don't know the numbers on downtown, but the dollars in currently in progress uh, with downtown projects is multiples of, uh, you know, times, you know, what the the previous high end dollars being invested in downtown was, and your paper covers it well. But, you know, there's just, a, I, I think a lot of apartment complexes, there's a lot of um, other type mixed use facility type residential with business mixed in that I think in five years, it's going to look really different. I mean, I think there's a lot of exciting things going on. And I think to be kind of on the South Bank where there's exciting things as well, uh, with River City Brewery about to be torn down and the new project there and the district, uh, they're, they're moving dirt down there. I mean, maybe you can tell me what they're doing, but I see dirt being moved. Yep, and That's uh, the River's Edge project, which is uh, it's going to be quite a thing once it's completed. Exactly. And then just moving into San Marco, you've got the old uh, Baptist uh, convention project going there and then down the Publix, down the road. Uh, so, so there's a lot of stuff kind of in the downtown core and then even moving out to what they consider downtown uh, surrounding neighborhoods, Brooklyn and the South Bank and everything. So bullish. bullish yeah, the- bullish, <laughs> bullish. That seems to be the word of the day, right? Wonderful. Well, that, uh, I think that covers everything I had to ask you. It, uh, it's interesting to, to think of that outlook of, I, mean, I look over the topics that we've talked about of excited for the future. Obviously, inflation is a, a concern for many people, but kind of this both opportunity and challenges that will be coming down the pike. I agree. I think those are the concerns coming. You know, we, we happen to be what, one of the fastest percentage-wise cities uh, from a growth standpoint uh, in the country and, and in Florida. And so maybe that'll insulate us a little bit as we grow. And if we keep bringing people to Florida that, that want to leave other states or other locations that for whatever reason, they find them less desirable than Jacksonville, that's just going to continue to uh, help us grow in the future and work through any type of slowdown we may have. BDO Managing Director Jim White joining us. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Florida Business Journals, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy.